So we're going to carry on looking at James chapter 4. And uh, we almost finished James chapter 4. We can look at the, the, the second half of the, of the chapter just now. But just to um, help jog your memory, because um, I have sort of interjected a little bit over the last couple of weeks with preaching out of Romans. But um, just to remind you, chapter 4, James has been talking about things like saying, um, don't be a spiritual adulterer. Uh, he's trying to encourage his friends, don't love the world, don't uh, kiss the world on the one hand and um, try and walk with God on the other. Can't live like that. There needs to be a single-mindedness that he's trying to call his friends to. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a look at greatness and said that God wants us all to be great. And how we find greatness in God's community is that we humble ourselves and we let God do what he wants to do in our lives. And as we humble ourselves under his hand, he lifts us up and he gives us um, profile in different ways, but the way that we find the kingdom in our lives is to humble ourselves. And so, there's that famous little verse that you know well, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I said to you that we, we discover greatness in our lives as we learn not to be threatened by other people, people that are more gifted than us, people that have um, different anointing to us. We, we, we learn to be humble as we don't, are not threatened by them. We, we, greatness is not being passive, it's being active in the kingdom. It's letting God show us and then we act on what God shows us. It's not being self-conscious, but it's being conscious of Him. We want to be more conscious of God than we want to be of ourselves. And that means if we start living like that, we will start walking humbly with God. And so I also said to you a couple of weeks ago that primarily what these people had forgotten, these Christians that James was writing to, why they had started fighting with each other, why they had started gossiping in the church, is because they'd forgotten that actually they were called to go and make disciples. That's the primary call. That's what James reminds them of and says, actually, this is about the future of Christianity. This is about God's, the heritage that we're going to leave our kids and actually, what our responsibility is, is to think clearly. Our responsibility is to allow God bring a reformation in our own lives so that we not only live differently, but we think clearly. So what we pass on to our kids is a pure gospel. And that's what I encouraged you with as well. And um, last week, I, I had a look in detail at Paul and what motivated Paul. That um, he was a man that was not ashamed of the gospel. That he believed the gospel was the power to transform anyone. And I want to put that to you as well. We are, we are encouraged to believe a gospel that says it can't transform everyone. The gospel can transform everyone. Whether you feel like uh, you've, had, uh, you've been sexually promiscuous in your, in your life before, when you come to Christ, you can live differently. Everyone can live differently. You might have had a homosexual lifestyle in Christ, you can live differently. And uh, this is our testimony in this church. We have seen a number of people come out of a homosexual lifestyle and be born again, transformed by the grace of God, and live a different life. It is possible. I want to say to you, the gospel is sufficient for everyone. No exceptions. Everyone comes to the cross, lays down their life, and is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul believed. And so he preached with the sense of eternity in mind, that he was, he was trying to make people conscious and aware that they would stand before God one day, and actually he wanted them to stand before God confident, knowing that they were saved. Yeah? And so we looked at Romans 1 and Romans 15 
And I also looked at Acts 17, where Paul was found. Remember I said he didn't go to Mars Hill, he didn't go to the Rophagus, he didn't go and speak to the learned people when he was in Athens. He went to Athens to find Silas, and Silas wasn't there, so he went to the marketplace, and he simply chatted to anyone who wanted to hear about Jesus. And I encourage you, let that be the motivation of our hearts, that we chat to anyone that we can about Jesus. Amen? Whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's work, etc., etc. And so, these kind of things that uh, James is calling his friends to, these expressions of humility, if you like, one of the other things that I talked to you about was that James says, don't speak, don't defame other people, don't speak badly about other people. That actually is an expression of of a humble person. Someone who's humble doesn't have to speak badly about others. Someone who's confident who they are in Christ doesn't have to gossip about about other people and put them down because they are confident of who they are in Christ. Yeah? And so Paul encourages us, uh, James encourages us as well and says, that's what it means to walk by the Spirit, actually. As you start start to learn to put the flesh to death, and and one of those things is that you control how you speak. And remember, I used the example of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Magician's Nephew, remember? Uncle Andrew. It turns out to be the musician. And he says, oh no, I'm the exception to the rule. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. And I think uh, worldwide in the church, there are, there are many that say that there are exceptions to the rule, that things don't apply to them. Apply to every other Christian. That doesn't apply to them. It's rampant pride, and we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it honestly before God so that he can use us for the sake of his kingdom. And so James said, defaming others... It's never justified. It reveals our insecurity. Uh, and it really does mean that we will never become great as God intends us to become great if we don't learn to humble ourselves and speak well of other people. And so the last time I preached, I encouraged you that James uses those three images. He says we're brothers. He says we're friends. We're family. We're neighbors. And that's how we are to respond to one another in the church. And that's how we honor God. That's how we treat each other. And that was all summarized in the royal law that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the summary, really, of all the law. So that brings me now to um, the verse that I would like to read today, James 4, verse 13. And this is really another practical way that James is saying we can actually, we can actually jeopardize humility in our lives if we don't take this into account. And so he says this, Come now, you who say... Tomorrow or today, we will go to such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are just a mist that appears for a little time and it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance And all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So Jesus, I just pray that you would help me now as I preach. I pray that you bring clarity. I pray, Lord, for fertile hearts. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring life to this. And God, we know that you're doing an amazing thing in our lives and we want to cooperate with you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would do that this morning as I preach and that you bring freedom and that you bring revelation to us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. So basically, I just want to choose a line out of uh, that portion uh, as the title of this message and it simply is, what is your life? 
<laughs> what is your life? And what James is trying to do here is trying to get us to see as Christians. Remember, this, le- this letter is written to his friends. who are believers. They are Christians. And so he's trying to get them to look at, to, uh, to understand an underlying thing that is in their lives. And that is the sin of presumption. That's what he's trying to get them to see. He's trying to get them to not be presumptuous about their lives. And presumption really comes from a wrong understanding of ourselves relating to other people and our lives and our ambition. And so that's what presumption is. And and James says here, he's saying, there's the sin of presumption that doesn't come from defaming other people and speaking badly of other people. It really comes from speaking with the same arrogance that we speak to others. We speak to ourselves with that same arrogance. And we are presumptuous. And we say things like, well, my time is my own. I'll do whatever I want with my time. I'll just go here, I'll go there, I'll make money, I'll live here this year, I'll go to Australia next year, and after I've made money in Australia, where the sun shines, I'll go to America where I can make more money. He's saying, don't think like that. He's saying, that's the way pagans think. You are not pagans, we are not pagans. We are called in Christ to a different way of thinking and living. And I'm aware that this is probably not going to be an easy message to hear. So many of us are motivated by our own pleasure, our own personal ability, our own ambition, what we think is best. And so James is saying, don't just make decisions around your personal ability. Don't just make decisions around with a sole desire to make profit and make money. He says, actually, what he's saying is, if you think like that, you're backslidden. What he's saying you and I. If we think like that, we actually are just like unsaved people. We're thinking like the world. We're not aware of our own frailty. We're not aware that actually our lives, what is the phrase he used? He says, our life is like a puff of smoke. (laughs) That's what he says. In the light of eternity, our life is like that. Your life, my life, our lives in the light of eternity are just like puffs of smoke. (laughs) They are here one day and (laughs) they're gone tomorrow. And why do I say all this? Well, Because I am convinced that God wants us as Christians to live in the present, to live now. The only space you have to live in right now is today. That's the only space you have to live in. You know what I've seen over the years is people become excessively concerned about the future. People want to know what's going to happen in the future. Christians want to know, well, God, what are you saying about tomorrow? What are you saying? Am I going to get married? Am I not? Am I going to make lots of money? Am I not? They're too concerned about the future. God wants us to live in the present. In the present. It's the only place we can live. I can't live in tomorrow, nor can you. We can only live in the present. Did, you, you know, have you ever thought about this? That the, those that promise they can tell the future, that's not the way of the Christian faith. It's the way of the occult. It's the way of Ouija boards. It's the way of fortune tellers. They promise you that they can tell you the future, and they never can. So the Mayans prophesied the end of the world yet again, and it never came. <laughs> God never promises us to know all the details of the future. He never, it's not the Christian way. Why is it not the Christian way? Because God wants us to live by faith. He wants us to walk by grace. He promises you, I will give you grace for today, and I will give you grace for tomorrow, but He's not going to give you all the details of what's going to happen tomorrow. 
I was just thinking this. Jill Norton is absolutely smiling today. Why is she smiling today? I'll tell you why. Because yesterday, Wales won the rugby against France. And Wales have not won for a long time. What I'm trying to say is this. If God had told Jill that Wales were going to win yesterday, and she knew beforehand... What kind of joy would have it been for her to experience on the day that it happened? None. <laughs> because she would have already known. And if, if God had told her that Wales was going to lose, what kind of joy would that have brought to her? None. What I'm trying to say to you is this. God doesn't tell us the details of the future because it robs our joy of the good things that are going to happen and it would demoralize us if we knew there were bad things that were going to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? God says, no, I will give you grace for today. And I promise you, I'll give you a hope and a joy and an expectation of the future. That's what Isaiah says. He'll give us those things, but I will give you grace for tomorrow when you need it. And that's how we live as Christians. We walk by faith and we walk by grace. Tomorrow is always in God's hands. We can't control it. None of us can control it. And somehow I think there's too many Christians that are trying to escape. They're trying to run away, escape the present and dream about the future. One day, one day, one day. God wants us to live now. And that's what Paul said. Remember in the book of, uh, book of Acts, Acts 27, 25, he, um, he's, uh, there's a shipwreck and uh, all that stuff that happens, and he says to the guys, he says, Take heart, my men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. We're going to survive the storm. He has faith, but he, but he has to walk by faith. He doesn't know all the details of how it's going to walk out, work out. But Jesus put it another way on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6.34. He said, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Jesus said the same thing. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so, God wants us to live in the present. And so, James asks this question of these Christian friends that he shouldn't really have to ask them. He says, what is your life? He's not asking it in an evangelistic way. He's not speaking to unsaved peoples. He's speaking to his friends. And he's speaking to these guys to help them to see something. They're taking themselves too seriously. They're taking their lives too seriously. They, they think that actually trying to foretell the future is what, what God wants them to do. And he's saying, no, you're living just like a non-Christian when you think like that. Don't just live for yourself. Don't just make a plan with profit in mind. I've got something else for you. And you discover it as you walk by faith. Yeah? And so this is the basic principle. Jesus... When he teaches about the kingdom, it's always built on this premise that we deny ourselves in order to find him. That's what he says, uh, Mark 8, 34. The, the crowd came to him with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will save it. It's this, this kind of Principle of the kingdom. We lose ourselves and we find ourselves. We deny ourselves and God shows us something glorious. John 12, 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. 
Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. The same principle. And in those two verses, there's something that is ironic and truly dazzling at the same time. And it is this, this thing that we hold in tension. We don't find ourselves until we deny ourselves. We don't truly live until we truly die. And I love Colossians 3, verse 3. You know that verse that says, For you have died when you're saved, you have died, and your life is hidden in, with Christ, in God. Isn't that a beautiful verse? When you're saved, your old man dies, and now your new man is in Christ, hidden in Christ, in God. It's an amazing thing. And you see, what James is trying to say is if we take ourselves too seriously, we take our lives too seriously, then our only concern is ourselves, our position, our future, our reputation, our influence, what people might think about us, and how we might be regarded by others, and that actually betrays something about our life. And he's trying to get us to see that. And so I said to you a couple of weeks ago, becoming great is being self-conscious in God's presence. We don't want to blush before God one day, do we? Rather blush a little bit here on earth right now than blush before God one day in heaven. And see, when you're more concerned with eternity and what God thinks of you, then those other things don't really matter at all. Does God want to give us dignity? Absolutely, he wants to give us dignity. But I am convinced of this, that until you know that you are not your own, that you are bought with a great price, and that God has a call on your life because he's bought you with the blood of Jesus, you don't truly discover who you can be. Convinced of this. And we truly start to discover who God intended us to be as our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And then he starts to unlock a whole new future for us. You know what, uh, James, please note, he says here, what is your life? He doesn't say, what is your soul? You know, we, we, we discovered last week that Paul was primarily concerned for people's souls, for the preaching of the gospel. But remember, we sang it this morning, uh, the scripture out of, uh, out of uh, Mark eight thirty six. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? It profits him nothing. And so really, James is trying to get us to understand this. Considering eternity, considering all that God has done in history, all that, all that God will continue to do until Jesus comes back, our lives really are insignificant. They are. They are insignificant. Until God starts to own them. When God starts to own our lives, then they become incredibly significant for him and for the kingdom. And so he's saying, don't take yourself too seriously. You see, when we take ourselves too seriously and we say, well, we have to make a plan about everything, we have to make sure that we've got a certain future, we must make sure that we've got a pension, we must make sure all this stuff, what we really are saying is, God, you don't really care for me. You're not taking me seriously. (laughs) That's what we're really saying. We're saying, really, God, I don't really trust you uh, because I'm going to make a plan. Am I asking for irresponsible living? No, I'm not saying that, and I don't believe that James is saying that. All I'm trying to get you to see and understand, I believe what James is saying, is that when we live like that, when we have to plan everything for the future like that, we are violating a very basic promise that Jesus gave us. And Jesus said that he would love us, and he would take care of you and me. Do you believe that, really? That God would take care of you. 
And he uses the example, he says, look at the lilies of the field, look at the sparrow. Uh, doesn't, you know, Jesus said, doesn't God take care of these things? Will he not take care of you? Why am I saying, do you really believe that? Because our whole culture feeds us on fear. That's what sells insurance. Fear sells insurance. You're not going to have enough. Your house is going to be robbed from you. Someone's going to steal your car. And uh, to guard against that, just pay us some money and we'll make sure that you are protected in the day of your need. Well, we've had some insurance recently. Uh, we put an insurance claim for some glasses that Helen lost on holiday. Do you think they paid us out? Nope. Nope. They found every reason not to pay us out. In fact, they gave us five pounds when it cost us 170 pounds buy new glasses. They found every loophole, everything they could think of to not pay us the money. That's how sure insurance works. Motivate people out of fear, and then when you got them, you don't always pay out what you say you're going to pay them. That's how they make money. So I'm just asking you this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, do we really trust God that he loves us? that he's going to take care of us. In your old age, that God would take care of you. Even if you don't have the big pot of money, you still believe that God is going to take care of you. He is. It's his promise. And so, James uses this image of a puff of smoke. And he says we are all puff and smoke. I mean, how humbling is that? How insulting is that? That James would say, actually, your life, my life, is like a puff of smoke. It's like, gone. Well, what is he trying to say? Well, in the light of eternity, our little lives don't count very much. But I thought about this. When James says, what is your life? He uses a Greek word, which means, speaks of God, who God is in his nature. And what he's trying to say is this. um, Our life is by creation. We are created beings. None of us is begotten. There was only one begotten son, and his name is Jesus. We are not eternal in that sense. We are not immortal. The most humbling thing that you and I can admit is that we are created beings. You know where every, the bottom of every single fantasy about, that we have about ourselves is that somehow we are going to transcend our, our, our mortality. <laughs> if I just get famous enough, people will remember who I was. If I can just get rich enough, people will remember. Somehow I will carry on. My name will carry on. And I might die, but people will remember who I am. We have this kind of, we have all the fantasies that we have about our lives. They're rooted in this thing that somehow we can, we can live forever in some kind of way. There's only one that is immortal. And the most humble thing you and I have to realize is that we are created beings. There was only one who was fully God and fully man. His name is Jesus. He has no beginning. He has no end. God has no end. God has no beginning. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's only one eternal one. And the most humble thing to, to realize is that my face, where I was born, the kind of body that I have, the way I look, the gifts I have, was determined by God. He decided what parents I would have, He decided where I would be born, and the same is true 
for you. That is incredibly humbling to know that you had nothing to do with who you are. But God decided all those things. But he has the crucial thing to realize. This is not depressing. This is actually incredibly good news. He has the crucial thing to realize. Those of you that know science, steam, vapor, smoke, when it is harnessed, it is the most incredible thing, isn't it? How, what, 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 um, what drove the Industrial Revolution in this country was steam engines, vapor being channeled to do something extraordinary. So when I say our lives are vapor and smoke, it's not that I'm just saying we disappear into like nothingness. When we are hidden in Christ, when we are, our lives are hidden in Christ and He is taking us and He's saying, I'm going to use you, I'm going to mold you, I'm going to, I'm going to put you into this place so that you can be effective. Our lives become incredibly meaningful. Yes, amen. Of course they do. You know, smoke doesn't have any will of its own. It's caused by the energy of something else. But when it's harnessed, it becomes an incredibly powerful thing. And we've seen over the years, machines go to the stars, cross oceans in big boats, all driven by harnessed energy. And that's what God wants for you, your life. That's what God wants for my life. He wants to harness our lives so that they become incredibly powerful. But it starts with us not thinking too highly about ourselves. It starts with us saying, actually, you know, God, I am probably just like a puff of smoke, but won't you use me? <laughs> I'm not going to try and figure everything out. I'm just going to walk day by day. I'm not going to worry about whether I get married or not. I'm going to live for now. I'm not going to worry about if I'm going to get rich or not. I'm going to live for now. I'm going to be, I'm going to be as generous as I can right now with what I've got. I'm going to live in a different way. That's what God is calling. We can only live in the present. And I, I want to say, if we, if we run like Christians, if, if we run as Christians, we essentially do just disappear like smoke. I've seen that over years. So many Christians starting to count for God and then they start running. They start running away from Him. They start running away from church community and they disappear like vapors of smoke. Never see them again. Five, ten years, still in the wilderness, still running, vapors of smoke, gone. We don't want to live like that. We want to live like people that are harnessed with the energy of God beating inside of us and counting for His kingdom. Amen? Incredibly powerful things can happen. You know, life at its longest, if I was to live to be a hundred, I'm not sure I want to do that. In the light of eternity, what is a hundred years? It's nothing. It's just... It's minusculely nothing. It's not even a millisecond in, in the light of eternity. My life and your life, they are, they are really, in terms of time, the eternity of time, nothing. But eternity is forever. Why do you think Jesus said this? Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Why do you think he said that? Because really, quite simply, all that counts one day, all that's going to count one day in heaven is to the extent to which we live for God here on earth. That's what's really going to count in heaven one day. Yeah? Nothing else. And so I want to encourage you that you live. Every decision that you make is with eternity in mind. God, how is this going to affect eternity? Not, is it going to get my, my bank balance larger now? It doesn't matter about now. <laughs> it matters about then. 
What are we going to have then in eternity? And so here are four signs that we take ourselves too seriously. All right? And they're all in the text. One, we have too much to say. We have too much to say. We talk too much. <laughs> we, we talk about everything too much. And that's one way of gr- grieving the Holy Spirit is, that, is by talking too much, not listening. We all talk too much. And that's what uh, James has already warned us in this, in this book. He says, your tongue gets you into trouble all the time. Speak less, listen more. Yeah? Secondly, we try to control events of our lives. We try to engage with things that we don't have any control over. We say tomorrow, he uses the example, he says tomorrow we'll go here, we'll choose to go there, we'll make some money, we'll live here for this period of time, and then we'll go there and do the same thing again. And he's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit like that. Don't try and control things that you don't have any control over. And I want to say to you that there's nothing that is more counterproductive and nothing that will sap your energy more than worrying about things that you have no control over. (laughs) It's just exhausting. God is good. God is kind. He loves you and I. He will provide for us as His children. That is enough. Don't worry. And I'm going, to cl- this, I'm going to clarify. I'm not saying live irresponsibly. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't worry. It's a big difference. Yeah. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about where you're going to live. It's too important. It's too important. What about evangelism? What about living for the greater glory of God? What about the kingdom? What about those things? When those things become replaced with this little thing of, where am I going to live now? It betrays our lives. It betrays where our, 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 our treasure really is. It's not really in heaven. It's really here on earth. Remember what Jesus said one day? This guy comes to him in Matthew 8 and says, Master, I'll go wherever you go. I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus says, um, Foxes have holes and birds have the air of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was trying to say, it's not important to me. What about Paul? Paul, Paul said, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm living for a heavenly kingdom. What about Abraham? Abraham was content to live in a tent all his life because the scripture says he was looking for a heavenly city. He was looking for something eternal whose foundation and builder was God. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't need houses. I'm not saying we don't need money. I'm not saying we don't need to think about those things. I'm saying we can't be controlled by those things. The big difference We lay them at the foot of the cross and we say, Jesus, you know me. You know all my needs. You know I have two boys. You know I have a lovely wife. You know I have all these things. And you know what we need before we even ask. And Jesus, I'm trusting you. You said you'd take care of me. I'm trusting you. That's it. What an incredible price of freedom to live like that. Not always worried, 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 worried. It'll exhaust us. And the the fourth thing that shows us is that we're preoccupied with financial security. By that I mean that financial security is our ultimate concern. Every decision is made with this thing. In this portion, they were saying, we're going to make these decisions to go and make some bucks, to go and make some money. The money was the root of their talk. And I'm saying to you, it's not that we don't need to make money. I'm just saying we can't make every decision in our lives around money and how we're going to make it. That's not living for the kingdom. Is it? So how do we not take ourselves too seriously then? Well, I've said it already. 
don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. And I'm not saying live irresponsibly. I'm not saying don't think about your pension. I'm saying don't try and escape the pain of today by dreaming about tomorrow and trying to escape in tomorrow before you're there. That's what I'm saying. God wants you and I to live in the present. It's the only space we've got right now. It's the only place we can live. I tweeted this the other day. When we live in His presence, when we live in the presence of God in our lives, we are content with the present, whatever the setting might be. Yes? When you are living in the presence of God, your present, whatever that might look like, you can be satisfied with that because you know God is caring for you, He's blessing for you, and He provides all your needs anyway. Don't always have to be longing for something else, for this house, for that house, for this thing, for that thing. No, live now. Live, don't let your life be robbed. That's what James is saying to us. And secondly, we can be reasonably sure that we're not taking ourselves too seriously when we don't take others too seriously. What do I mean by that? Well, no, James says, what is your life? He doesn't say, what is your mate's life? He doesn't say to me, and he says, he doesn't say, what about Colin's life? <laughs> he doesn't say to me, and what about Helen's life? His point is, don't worry about other people's lives. You just worry about your life. That's what he's trying to say. You know, I, I, re- I was thinking of this. Remember the story of Peter? Um, um, Jesus prophesies what kind of life, uh, what kind of death Peter's going to die. And you know what immediately his reaction is? He's not concerned about what Jesus says to, about him. He's more concerned about John, the apostle that Jesus loved. And he turns around to Jesus and he says, what about him? <laughs> what about John? And Jesus basically turns around to him and says, it's got nothing to do with you. You go and read the scripture. It's got nothing to do with you. My plans for John are no concern of yours. This is what I'm saying to you. You see, when, we, when we're always worried about what's happening to other people, it's a sign that actually we're too serious about ourselves as well. And we, we're not really convinced that God is going to take care of us because we're worried about how he's taking care of others. And we think maybe there's not enough to go around. If God blesses Colin, then is there really enough for me? That's, that's what it is. And we can't live like that. Now we rejoice with those who God blesses. Because we know the same God is providing for them, is providing for us. So I can look the same for everybody, yeah? And I conclude with this. We start to take ourselves less seriously when we really do understand that we are vapor and steam. You know, when you start following the way of the kingdom, it starts to become obvious to you, and it starts to become obvious to me. Philippians 3.14, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call that is in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if anything, if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, live like this. Live with that goal in mind to please God, to be perfect in every way as you can be for Him, and live with this in your heart, that if there's anything in your life that God needs to still change, He will do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you live. What a liberating way to live. What a, what a way to discover our youthful, usefulness. What a way to discover the dreams that God has for us. And we simply live walking like that, with this in mind, with this in mind, the goal that God, Christ has for me in Christ Jesus. I press on to that, and everything else will become obvious along the way as I press into that thing that He has for me.
So I'm saying to you this morning that James is not trying to banish planning from your life. He's not trying to banish things and say, don't think about these things and live irresponsibly. He's not trying to say that. What he is rather trying to say is banish a self-sufficient, self-important planning that keeps God just for a Sunday, but lives from Monday to Saturday like my time is really my own. You get what I'm saying? James's words are addressed to those of us who leave God at home on a Monday with our spouse when we take the train into the office on Monday morning. Yes, James is speaking to you and I. And he's trying to get us to see that all of our lives need to honor God. In every area of our life, we need to honor Him. And this is the key to living a humble life and not being presumptuous. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. This is the things that we've been saying over and over. What James is trying to get us to see is that our hope, our boast, should be in the glory of God and in the glory of God alone. And anything else that rises out of our own self-importance and arrogance is something that displeases Him. And it's not a fragrant offering that rises up to Him. In other words, even when in little secret ways, unrecognized ways, we forget that we are really fragile, that we really are but puffs of smoke, and we stop consciously depending on God for our future, consciously depending on Him, consciously trusting Him, we then fall back onto our own self-sufficiency, our own independence, and what we are really saying is, God, we are choosing our way over your way. That is not walking humbly before God. Walking humbly before God is saying, Jesus, I recognize who I am. I know the gifts you've given me. I am but a puff of smoke in eternity, but won't you use me? Won't you take me? Won't you harness me that my life can count for you? A very different thing. Amen? Okay. You guys okay? <laughs> Good. Uh, it's the, we have been, Helen and I have been reaching the, re, re, reading a, a book on preaching by John Stott. He says, he says some amazing things, and what is incredible is preachers go through these kind of processes when you're preaching. And then afterwards, you go through a whole lot of processes as well. You're always analyzing what you said, how it affected people, whether you offended people, whether you didn't, all this kind of stuff. And it's just the life of a preacher, I suppose. But I've really not tried to offend anyone this morning. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Let's live with eternity in our hearts. Let's live for Him. Let's let Him harness our energy, harness our lives. Let's give ourselves passionately to Him. Don't worry about the future. Live for today. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. He does. The testing of my life, I'm 48 years old, is God has provided for me and for my family. Am I a millionaire? No. Will I ever be a millionaire? No. Never. Am I happy with that? Yes. Why? Because God is my provider. He's, I have more than I could ever hope or dream for. And it's the same for all of us because we're all His children. Let your confidence be in Him. Amen? Let your confidence be in Him. Let's stand. We're going to worship together.